0: Hello, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about the classical world put on by three guys who work at a classical Christian school in Austin, Texas. My name is Graham Donaldson, and I am joined here with Thomas Fletcher Magby. Hello. And Arthur Jan Hannenberg. Hello. And gentlemen, I am contractually obliged to greet you both, because (laughs) that is my sworn duty that I have to perform, or else my virtue is besmirched or maybe I understand duty incorrectly Uh, and that's probably the case Hannenberg if what what does it mean to have duties and responsibilities and stop giggling at the (laughs) word sorry it's just it's funny every time you say it it's very funny yeah
1: it's good when uh, you know I it was just my birthday I am now 34 and Please. the word "duty" still makes me it's still Like, is it is it, <laughs> it ever going to come to?
2: No,
0: place it means you are young at
1: heart. This no. is a, this is a good thing about you.
0: You will be a jolly old man. Yes, uh,
1: I hope so. Uh, for the record, I think I think Magby was giggling more than I was. Most <laughs> fair of the time. point. Yeah, I mean, yes. he is the youngest, yeah, it, which oh, means I can be true. the most immature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, for sure. Okay, today we are going to talk about Book One of Cicero's On Duty. I. <laughs> It's, still, it's funny every <laughs> it's time. I'm funny. so sorry. Rising I can't get over Channel it. Number. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's going to be a hard podcast. Sorry. Yeah, it really is going to be a rough one. So it's we're doing book one of Cicero's On Duty. I plan this to be a three-parter because the real kicker, the real fun part comes on part three, right? So his book On Duty is divided into three sections. One considers what is right and good for men to do. What is our duty? Book two considers what is expedient. And then book three considers how do we how do we deal with it when what is expedient and what is right seem to conflict with one another? So So
0: by duty, does he say the duty that is all for all men from all time? Like does he sort of generalize it to, to, to human duties to, you know, X, Y, and Z state family friends.
1: Yeah. Kind of.
0: I've never read it. So I have no idea.
1: Yeah. It's, well, you know, well, I'll get there. Okay, so let's talk sure. about who Cicero was first, just to give our audience a little bit of background into who this fellow was. He was born in 106 BC and lived to 43 BC, uh, so quite a little while, yep. right? He's an old guy. I think Jesus Christ lived what 33 AD ish, around there. The zero, I would zero. Zero was his. I don't think that's right. I think he was born in like 3 BC. I think it was a little bit off. Yeah,
2: but like, yeah, the whole idea being that like. Zero, in theory, is when he was born, and 33 is when he died.
1: But yes, it's not exactly right. Right. So he's a little a little before Christ, right. but really stinking close. Yeah. He's close to that period. He served, at, and this is just going to be a brief overview. This podcast isn't about Cicero himself. I just kind of want to give you an idea of who the fella is. He served as consul in the year 63 BC, which is a pretty high spot in the old Roman Republic. He came from a wealthy family, so he didn't have struggles as a young man. He routinely held... Positions On his way, climbing the ranks, Um, he championed a return to the Republican government following the death of Caesar. Um, He was an enemy of Mark Antony in the power struggle after Caesar's death. For those who aren't as familiar with Julius Caesar, he rose to power and there were a bunch of folks that didn't like him very much. They stabbed him on the 15th of March and then claimed a return to the republic. That wasn't what turned out. Mark Antony, one of Caesar's cronies, decided to seize the power for himself, and then we it devolved into a civil war.
2: If you want to hear more, go back to our episode on Julius Caesar. Right? Yeah, wasn't it on? Yeah,
1: yeah. We we've talked about this before. Yeah, but Ooh, for those the really who are fun knew.
0: battle of Actium. and yeah. Cleopatra she like leaves halfway through, and oh man.
1: Oh, there's there's so much cool stuff mm-hmm. right around this period. He lived at one of the most exciting and well known periods of Roman history, right at the death of Caesar, and he in fact, was fleeing the peninsula, the the Italian peninsula, when he was caught. Uh, and his head was cut off, and his hands were then displayed in the public forum. Oh, geez. Wow. Which is rough. Yeah, it's super rough. Yeah. He, he got marked down as an enemy of the state in 43 BC because he had spoken sort of against Mark Antony. And this book, On Duty, was written in the last year of his life. So kind of when this was all going hmm. down was when he wrote this letter to his son. This is actually what the entire book is. It's a letter to his son as his son studies. And he says, look, I've done a lot of speaking. My stuff on rhetoric is important, but also I'm a pretty good philosopher. (laughs) So check out all my philosophy. It'll be good for your development if you read it and you kind of follow me in these things. It's weird to hear a father tell a son, like, I've been pretty awesome just be like me. And depends on your dad, I guess. It depends on your dad, but there's a lot of dads who are like, don't make the same mistakes I made. He's like, do exactly what I did. I'm pretty great.
0: Except he got his hands cut off.
1: I mean, like, but for championing the Republic, sure, something right. that was good, mm-hmm. right? And trying to oppose tyrants. It was all, it was all good. So it was like a good cause. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was actually invited to be the fourth member of the first triumvirate. Oh, wow. For those who don't know what that was, it was Pompey, Crass, Pompey Crassus, and Caesar. Mm-hmm. Those three fellas were all part of the, a power structure that ruled Rome for a good long time until Crassus died, leaving just two fellas. And when there's just two, usually one will try to steal preeminence. So he was actually invited to be the fourth guy in that and he turned said no? them down really? wow. because he thought it would undercut the Republic and the Senate, and he didn't want to do that. So he's a pretty great guy. And his last words, these are famed last words after he got caught, he said, there is nothing proper about what you are doing, soldier, but do try to kill me properly. Oh, wow. And he stuck out his neck and let them kill him. He didn't resist. That's, a good, oh, that's, that, that's awesome. a good last line. yeah. Isn't that awesome? And then he, his, his writings were actually really influential all the way through the rest of history. He was admired by the church fathers, Augustine of Hippo, and who credited his one of his books for his eventual conversion to Christianity, St. Jerome, who had a vision where he was accused of being a follower of Cicero and not of Christ before oh, the judgment wow. seat. And he, so he, he liked him enough right. that a dream where he's like, you follow Cicero too much was deeply disturbing that. to yeah. him. Yeah. The influence when they sort of discovered all his all of his writings thought that maybe that's one of the things that led to the Italian Renaissance was rediscovering Cicero. <laughs> and, he had such a great influence on Latin language and learning that most style decisions were either said to be a returning to Cicero or a fleeing from Cicero. Wow. So he was sort of the benchmark that everything else went, went towards or ran away from. Do we still, didn't you talk about him on a style episode? Do we still have his works on how to speak, how to write? I think... I'd have to look. I don't remember. I haven't read as much Cicero as I need. I mean, that's one of the reasons I'm doing this. But the... Because, like, the book that
2: Augustine read that led to his conversion, we don't have that book. Correct. Right. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, that one is lost. I yep. think it's his Hortentius. I don't know. Something, something like that. Yeah, we don't have that one, and so it's it's sad that we have lost some things, but there you go. And before I jump into this, I would like to remind our listeners that we are generalists, that <laughs> I am... I am. Are you worried about what you're about to say? Yeah, I'm doing my best okay. to grok everything that he's saying and do a decent overview. But remember, this is philosophy, mm-hmm. so this isn't exactly the easiest of reads, and it's pretty dense. Which means that if I'm going to go over a hundred pages of this in an hour, is that how long this is? Is it like super long? That's book one. It's a pretty it's, long okay. book, wow. and I, I don't, I don't feel up to the task, having not studied this at extreme length. Right? I haven't taught this book for twelve years. I'm not a Cicero scholar. I just feel kind of humbled by coming to this. So if you're a little confused, just know that that's because so are you. I'm confused. <laughs> and, and I hope you can be okay with that as we, try, as, we, as we try to jump into Cicero here. So like I said, it's a letter to his son, Marcus. And he says, look, you've been studying for a while. I think it would be good for you to continue to study philosophy. And another book to his son, he says, I wish the only thing you would hear was moral philosophy, because that is good for your development. And what parent has said that to their kids these days? I ne- wish never. the thing that you deal with most is moral philosophy: when to be good and right, and in what situations right. to do those things. I'm, I'm being unfair. I mean, doesn't every every parent wants their kid to be to make good choices?
2: But but when not, they're advocating for school, what do they right. say to go to school for? Not moral philosophy.
1: Yeah. Not most uh, most of the time. Skill. If your kid chooses chooses philosophy as a major, you are deeply disturbed because you assume they're not going to get a job. Right. Sure. You might be right. That yeah. They might not get a job, but at least. Hey. They'll be content. I did philosophy as a major. Then you did a master's degree. Yeah, that's
2: true. But I did it out for philosophy. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) And I think your parents would rightly be alarmed that you are now a teacher and not not making gobs of money. Oh,
0: they are not alarmed at all. My parents are, they are gushingly proud.
1: Good. I know. You come from a teaching family, but I think there's a lot of parents out there who'd be like, my son, a teacher? Never. Dang. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I'm so okay. sorry. I'm so sorry, Graham. Let's let's jump right into this. So, like I said, his first book is a sort of a study of what is right for men to do, and he says that there are two levels of morality: absolute duty and mean duty. Now, absolute duty has. To, <laughs> are we going to do this
0: the whole the entire time? time 100%. I'm sorry, that's yeah. my only one. I'm done. <laughs> no, there's no you way you can't you're, claim you're that. There's the no way
1: that's time. the only yeah, one. Absolutely. All right one is so, yes, Lucas, now you got this The first English. one is just absolute right. duty okay
0: <laughs> mean duty
2: yeah it's just a mean duty
0: <laughs> alright sorry I apologize <laughs> <The nurse. laughs>
1: I, don't, I don't apologize I'm sorry, oh, what okay, are we gonna sorry. Do? you guys I, I feel like our podcast up until now has been a great thing to pad our resumes and this <laughs> no, right here is what? the one where they're like we're never hiring those guys <laughs> Well, maybe is, I'm only fit to teach ninth grade. I was going to say, this is just the proof that we work with high schoolers, right? It's, yeah. Yeah. What do you, yeah. But the thing is, never mind. All right. We're getting off track. <laughs> good. Let's get back to the yeah, duty. Sure. <laughs> so one is the, the absolute duty has to do with what is the supreme good, mm. which maybe we don't argue about a lot now, but we used to argue about a lot in the old day, old days. Like what is it good for men to do? Is the supreme good to seek pleasure? Is it to live in harmony with one's nature? Is one nature against harmony? Right, what is it good for men to do? Should it be to sacrifice all for the good of your brev- brethren? Is it to seek self? There are still people. Are those who the say, ones he
0: raises? Does he raise? Those he actually supreme? doesn't
1: treat the supreme good much at all. Oh, oh interesting. Um, he he kind of glosses over that and move moves on. Partially mm-hmm. because this isn't intended to be a discussion of what is the supreme good. He tosses a couple out. He says, if you live for the supreme pleasure, well, that doesn't work because what about justice? He, he just kind of undercuts them with like, well, here's a quick example why that can't be the supreme good and why you can only go for yourself. And it either means you won't fight as a soldier, which is dishonorable, mm-hmm. or you won't adhere to justice, mm-hmm. which is also dishonorable, or you won't do any good for your fellow man. He sort of undercuts those. And he says, in any case, it has to adhere to virtue, right? It should have something to do with virtue. And mm-hmm. so he doesn't treat long on what the supreme good is, but the mean duty, right? Mean good is how all of that, the supreme good, plays out into our lives, hmm. right? How, what does that mean for every situation? Does, right? when he
0: says "mean," is he meaning like the median, the average, the mean? Like when we when we, when we talk about halfway th- between? two I points?
1: don't think so. Okay. I think for mean good, he means just like, it's like the actions you have to do. M- mean versus exalted. Oh, I see. Yeah. Right. So basic, so pedestrian, so like, or, yeah, or yeah or basic or pedestrian okay. or day to day. Right. That's what he means by those. So
0: it's not like the golden mean or the okay. okay.
1: Yeah. And then he says, what is clear is that when considering something, you consider two things, whether it is right and whether it is, it is expedient. Right. And sometimes those two seem opposed and it will send you into a tailspin. Tail right. Consider one of our students who has, say, accidentally stepped on my bookshelf and broken a piece off of it when I'm not in the room. That didn't happen. I was, oh, I was there when it, it happened. On your shelf. <laughs> but he has two options. What is right for him to do? To Pro- tell you. Probably tell me that it happened. What is expedient for him to do? Run away and not. And pretend it was not him, right? Or,
0: or try to fix the bookshelf as quickly as possible that, you, so n- that so looks, you never
1: notice. Right. Yeah. So sometimes those seem to be at odds and they bring us into a bit of a moral conundrum, right? What is right versus what is good for me as a person? And he, again, we're going to treat that longer in my third part of this series, but that's kind of where he puts it. He also says that we can't just consider those three heads, good, expedient and what if they're opposed but we also have to consider well what if two things seem good which one should i go for right which what is more good than another right so there's really five headings right so the moral which is what is right and then is one thing more right than another the expedient right what is expedient and then what if one thing can bring you more goods than the other thing can and then lastly what if they're opposed Right. Those are the sort of the five headings under which this whole discourse will rest. Then he moves <laughs> on to discussing duty specifically. <laughs> yeah. Now you're laughing. I know. I'm I sorry. Well, now. it's because Good. you guys looked so serious. And I, I thought I thought for sure that one serious about duty would get you. Um, all right. He says that all that is right arises under four kind of subheadings. And these four subheadings come early and they're easy to miss, but then the rest of the entire book rests under these four. He, Cicero has this thing where he'll say, it's one of these four things, one, two, three, four. Mm. And then it turns out that's the structure for the entire rest of the chapter. And if you mm. missed it, you're just kind of hosed. So you mm-hmm. have to really pay attention to when he delineates these things. The first is all, all that is right is, arises from number one, a full perception and development of the true. This is unique to mankind right? Animals don't do this. They don't seek what is true about the universe and then try to develop that in themselves. We uniquely to the animal kingdom have reason. Mm -hmm. In fact, there even for for Cicero, there seems to be a very sharp difference between animal and human, Mm -hmm. right? He he says we have reason. We can appreciate beauty. We have fraternity. We sacrifice for the good of our neighbor. A lot of these things animals do not do, right? They, They won't stand and watch a sunset and appreciate its appreciate its beauty, and then furthermore, ponder what that means about their inner soul. Animals just don't do that. This is unique to man. And he says there are two errors we must avoid when pursuing this. This may, might actually be the shortest part of his entire book here, is this, considering what is true and developing it. Number one, we must not treat the unknown as known and too readily accept it. And number two, some devote too much industry and too deep a study to matters that are obscure and difficult and useless. <laughs> what do you guys think of those?
0: Um, uh, the second one made me laugh just because, like, that's how we find podcast episodes. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Was but um, I, I, yeah, that that first one, we must not treat things that are unknown as known, is. Um, like sounds very classical, sounds very Roman and sounds that very sort of pragmatic area of philosophy is that there are things that we don't know. And if we think that we know them, you know, we're going to be fools. It's almost sort of stoic in that way.
1: Yeah. And weirdly enough, I think that people fall into this trap all the time. time. We see news stories and then we think we know everything about a thing and that we don't, we think we understand how the U S government works when a lot of us don't. And I think one of the even hardest is assuming we know something about a person because of, some instance that we've extrapolated something from, and the worst part of that is that if we write them off, we will never know the truth, right? We will never know who they were and get to know them a little more, which is hard, right? It's sometimes called the narrative fallacy, which is
2: if we can make a story around it, whether it's true or not, we'll believe it. So, it's a, we are more prone to believe things that sound coherent, whether they are or not.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and then he moves on. That that's it's like I said, it's the shortest of the four. The second thing that all right arises from is the conservation of an organized society. So the first one is development of the truth and seeking the true, like universal truths. The second is just making sure society goes, and there are two divisions here: justice, which he defines as keeping one man from doing harm to another, and leading men to use common possessions for common interests and private possessions for their own. And the, the foundation for all of this is fidelity to promises and mm. agreements. Wow. The second is charity. So under conservation of an organized society, we have justice and we have charity. And he goes through an in-depth discussion of both. Discussion? I'm sorry. That, I'm having trouble good. talking this yeah. morning. So what's
0: the definition of, that he gives of justice?
1: Like I said, to keep one man from doing harm to another mm-hmm. and to lead men to use common possessions for common interests and private possessions for, for private interests. So I wouldn't throw a party in the public square and then kick people out of the public square, mm-hmm. right? And I wouldn't use a public building for my own good, and I wouldn't try to use my own home for public good, right? It's, it's mine. It stays separate. Do you
2: say this is, this is written to his son? Yes. So is his son going into
1: politics? I think he is assuming that his son is going into politics. One day. He mm-hmm. actually goes into a discussion of the choosing of one's vocation well, later okay. and gives a bunch of prescriptions there about how to do it and how to do it well. Mm-hmm. But I think he wants his kid to come forward in politics just as he was. And I think that's just going to be difficult considering the political climate. I don't know. Back then, you're saying? Considering right when Cicero died. Right, exactly. Like his kid isn't exactly going to be a shoe in for stuff in the new regime. Because Cicero was killed for political
2: reasons. Yeah. Right?
0: Yeah. And who knows what what what's coming around the corner, right? Like if you're in this time of giant political upheaval, they don't know that what's going to happen is the sort of secession of emperors right. with uh, supreme power and that, that uh, you know, the, the, um, the Congress as they know, not Congress, the, um, Senate. the Senate as they know it is is going to be powerless, toothless. Um, well, it's kind of, there's almost like a little ironic tragedy in, in the fact that he's writing a letter, um, but his son is going to be entering into a time where it, a lot of what his father became an expert in is no longer going to be immediately practical immediately um, practical even though the timelessness of uh, yes. this kind of you know to be that kind of person even if you exist in a time where that kind of person is derided um, or uh, mocked to still be that kind of person uh, you know is is admirable mm-hmm. I, I think that's I think something I think all teachers need to um, believe that as well that we can't just look to what is what is the practical for what a student is going to ex- experience in life? Oh, well, we're a highly technological world, so all we need to really do is get our students proficient to deal with a fluctuating world of technology. I mean, it's like falling into that first category, category—the uh, thinking something is known when it is in fact unknown. Um, so preparing the student to be able to be any kind of, or to be the, a good man in any kind of, mm-hmm. of situation, any kind of waters.
2: Anyway, which is also why I'm glad he starts, he'll go into the expedient in the second section, right? But he's starting with the moral. He starts with the moral. Yeah. So yeah. I like that. How to do what is right, right towards you and your fellow men
1: before you get to what actually is practical. I don't know. I don't know how he'll define it, but I don't, I don't know either. I'm yeah. excited for it. Cool. All right. So he, he talks about two kinds of injustice that we're still under the heading of conservation of an organized society. And one is those who inflict wrong. And two is those who don't prevent wrong when they see it being inflicted upon others. And he actually brings philosophers under this category pretty often. They know what wrong is, but they remove themselves from everyday life under the guise of pursuing knowledge above all else. But then when they see something going wrong, they don't don't step in. They don't attempt to change things, right? They don't save anybody. And he kind of roundly says that's not okay. It's not okay for people to do. Uh, He also says that wealth is fine, but angling for it while also going for power is dangerous. Um, It means that you will probably end up doing injustices for personal gain. Mm -hmm. Uh, He also talks about war, that it should only be made that we can live in peace uh, and only after a formal warning is given. And then he gives lots of stories about how one should conduct oneself in war, right? We should, if we give a promise in war, we should follow it. And he gives examples of soldiers who they're, Their soldier oath was revoked and said that they could go home and they wanted to continue fighting, but they could not fight the enemy until they were legally a soldier. And so stood there and waited for someone to re-swear them in as soldiers so they could fight. There are also stories, and this has happened multiple times, where someone is a prisoner of war of a king and the king says, look, the other side has some of my prisoners. I need you to go to your people under the oath of returning to me and see if you can exchange yourself for the people, for my people that are over there, the store, I I forget the name of the guy who did this, but he came over, preached and said, you guys should not return the prisoners to this King. He is terrible. You keep them and you forget about me. And then he climbed back on his boat and he returned to a torture by death, like a death by torture. That is intense. Yeah. And that's happened more than once in the history of Wasn't It was Roman general. I don't Yeah, I don't remember the name, but I've heard the story before. Yeah, yeah, it's true. He yeah. did it. He came back and said, keep the soldiers. I'm heading back. Yeah. And, and there's another time when there were 10 prisoners that did the same thing. Mm-hmm. And one tried to run away. Oh. And everybody thought he was horrible because right. he made a promise, even to a, an evil enemy. And also, if an enemy has conducted himself honorably, there was one guy who came and said, I will be a traitor. I will poison hmm. his drink and kill him. And they took him and they gave him up to their enemy and said, you've conducted yourself honorably. This guy was going to kill you with poison. Well, you should smoke him. He's no, he's no good. So there's, there was sort of a, <clears throat> a respect among enemies even during that time.
0: Well, it's like, it was like John McCain when he was a prisoner of war uh, during Vietnam. His dad is, uh, was the what supreme commander of the Navy or something. And, uh, and so the Vietnamese wanted to release him um, uh, basically to show that he wasn't strong enough or, or whatever, just almost as a shame, and he, he refused to be released, and he stayed in the in the, in the POW camp with his fellow soldiers and stuff. I mean, you look at that and you say, that is that is somebody who is doing... That is a noble and gallant action. Um, that is doing one's duty. It's yeah, I can't imagine returning yeah. home... Yeah, that's pretty intense. ...and then
1: preaching against the deal that would mm-hmm. set me free, right? and then going back to death. Like, that is... That's insane. And it would take so much courage. Yeah. And I don't know. You would do that. I would like to think that I would do that, but I, my courage has never been sure. tested in that situation.
0: But the person does that knowing that the home is going to honor him. Like, I think that's right. got to be part of it. If you went and everyone was Like made fun of you for doing it. made fun of you for doing it or, or um, really did forget you and didn't care anything about you and didn't sing your song or didn't make any sort of- uh, um, or didn't make any kind of effort to tell your story of the the honor that you did. I think that would be a lot harder to do if you knew that your people kind of if they thought that you were being a fool too. Like ah, right. oh, that was me. Yeah. I
2: wouldn't. I'd, I'd run away. Mm-hmm. Um, That's the Pericles at the end of the funeral oration where he says that the greatest rewards go to the most honorable. Yeah. Like you, it, you almost need that mm-hmm. to reinforce the honor. Right. It's a separate discussion then of, you know, is it honorable if you're getting rewarded for it? But maybe that's just a thing to think about at some point.
1: Yeah. All right. So to review, our, the subdivisions of duty is a full perception and development of the true mm-hmm. and conservation of an organized society. And mm-hmm. so far we've talked about justice. We're moving on to charity. Mm-hmm.
0: Is this a section I've only, I've only seen Cicero read in, like, um, in quotations? Is this where he says, like, the greatest the greatest thing that mankind can do under worshipping the gods is to organize a, is to organize a government or something like that i remember there, there's a famous cicero quote where he says the good thing that humans do together is that they organize <laughs> civilized society. And this sort of sounds like where it would
1: that, fit in. That sounds right. There was, I highlighted a ton yeah. when I was reading this. And so pulling out, there are some books that I read and there's not a single quote that really jumps out to me. Mm-hmm. This was, is one of those things where the good, a good chunk of it is quotable.
0: Is it worth knowing who translated it or what edition you had? Um, I, have the Kindle edition. Yeah. So it was translated by Dr. Kindle. By Dr. Kindle. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: There is an, uh, what's it called? Anyone can access it online. Um, Libertyfund.org was the first one I found. So, wow. okay.
1: this one is translated by Walter Miller. And so, is
0: it like a Penguin edition?
1: Is it the it's the Kindle edition? The Kindle. Edition? <laughs> uh,
2: Kindle. The Andrew Peabody is in public domain. Oh
0: man! I mean, if your last name's Peabody, I feel <laughs> you know it's a good translation. A, like in the classical world, that just sort of sounds like somebody who who knows what's up,
1: we know what they're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Who would have a really killer translation of Cicero, but might not be too much fun at a dinner party? Yeah. <laughs> know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, moving on to charity. Uh-huh. We're, we're only about halfway through. We got to hustle. Let's do it. All right. He says, he gives us some principles for exercising our charity. Number one, our kindness shall not prove injury either to the object of our charity or to others. That's number one. Okay. So Robin Hood, mm. go, you know, go uh, the rich to, soak your head, right? Because yeah. he's robbing the rich to give to the poor. Did you say the charity can't hurt the object of the charity? Or others. Or others. Okay. So it also can't hurt the object of the charity. And I think this is one of the arguments a lot of people give before giving to the homeless is that they're just going to use it for drugs, right? They assume that their gift of money will actually be harmful and will further an addiction.
0: And so you th- would Cicero agree with that? It sounds like it. If, if, it, if, if it's true. true. Yeah.
1: But I don't know how many times it's actually true. And how, how, how do you differentiate as a giver? I think it's a better policy to give indiscriminately than it is to... Be tight fisted and then only give, say, sandwiches. I mean, if you have, it'd probably be better to give food and coffee and goods to these people that they can actually use rather than money they can use, use for whatever, whatever
0: purposes. But there's also something ennobling about saying, you are I asking you. for money. I'm going to give you money because I trust to make the decision. And yeah. if they make the bad decision, kind of so be it, as opposed to you saying, well, I know exactly what is better for you, so I'm going to circumvent your ask and give you something
1: different. Absolutely. I I totally agree. So I think we can talk about how Christian principles apply to this in a second, because yeah, he says some other stuff that you guys might take issue with. Okay, cool. Number two, it can't be beyond our own means. Oh, that's a good one. Because it damages the next of kin. Yeah. Like if I give way too much, then my kids get no inheritance. And it might engender a passion for plundering and misappropriating property. Ah. So if I give a bunch, that's, maybe that's where Robin Hood came in is he was giving so much and then he's like, you know what, I should plunder some other people to give some more property. And then you start using property for the wrong means and you might go a little too far and you hurt your family. That was his criteria number two. Criteria number three, and this is the one where it's a little strange. It has to be proportioned to the worthiness of the recipient. Yeah. Under four headings, his moral character, Ooh. his attitude towards us, the intimacy of his relation to us, and any services he has rendered to us.
0: Yeah, I feel that that would be the one where Christian charity diverges from from
2: this because then we, then we would say give regardless of the recipient.
0: Yeah, I mean.
2: I I will say I just finished, it it wasn't a good book, so I won't name it, but they had something in there to that same effect of they are telling a story about how one person who they gave food food to was, you know, very kind and thankful and another person uh, was just very angry. And so they gave more money to the first person than the second person. So, like, I I don't think that's good as a moral principle, but as a matter of expediency, like, I don't know, is that a a helpful thing to know?
0: Rewarding the behavior that you want to...
2: Yeah. Or that people will be more likely to want to reward behavior. Not to say this is the way things should be, but just as a statement of like, this is how things are.
1: I also think Christianity says, you know, be kind to your enemy and even be charitable to them, which has no place in his you know prescriptions for charity. But I think there's also an inherent element of giving in which we do this. You are going to give a better Christmas present to the friends and family that are close to you versus the people you don't know that well. It would be really weird to give a really extravagant birthday present to one of your students and then give paltry stuff to the rest of your family. That'd be right. strange. Yeah. And I think that he's trying to recognize that as best he can, but that's not a full excuse. I think we are called as Christians to give as much as we have. Yeah. Right. I guess I'm thinking of something even to robbers. Right. And I'm thinking of something much more
2: specific when he says charity, but this isn't only to, I'm using air quotes, the needy. This is charity toward everyone. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then that's helpful to, is it in.
0: worthwhile giving the definition of charity so that we all know? To, d- I mean, to modern, define it. Well, in a modern context, when we say charity, we generally mean the giving of money or the mm-hmm. giving of, yeah, of money to the poor or I mean, that's to, the quote, charitable donations. That's but, the first
2: definition, voluntary giving of sure. help, typically in the form of money to those in need.
0: Christian um, uh, virtue of charity is the love that expects nothing in return. So Christ dying on the cross was was the ultimate act of charity. He, we could not give anything in return for his outpouring of love. So uh, when Christians, at least classically, are talking about caritas, when they're talking mm-hmm. about charity, they mean a love without any strings, a love without mm-hmm. expecting anything in return. That has – one of the easiest ways to probably see that is in the giving of money to people that cannot in any way – Pay it back, or or give you anything back. Right. Um, and the same thing that Christ dying on the cross for us is the act of charity. There's nothing that we can do to like make it better, or you know, there's nothing we can do except yeah. give your give your heart, give everything, give your your entire existence. Um, so. Cicero is not talking about Christian charity. He's not talking about love, which which doesn't expect anything in return. He's mainly I don't using think it. so,
1: especially because he he talks about return. He says, mm-hmm. you know, gratitude. Right. You must serve if people have rendered you a service, you have to give them gratitude in proportion to the service they've rendered to you. Mm-hmm. And he talks about a lot about the fraternity of human men and how you society is best served when you give stuff to the people that are closest to you. And it it does not seem to be strictly similar to that of Christianity, but I do think there's an element of recognizing that we do tend to give more to the people that we know, and we tend to give less to the people that we don't.
0: So, is there a place for having both principles operating in your life at the same time, or are they mutually exclusive? Like, is Christian charity mutually exclusive of Cicero charity? Because Cicero's saying, yeah, you kind of rank people in your mind, um, and you people who are, are well, it's not friendly, but the people who, uh, for whom you would get a better return, you should, you should give more to like, he's talking about it in a very sort of practical, almost like the old boys club business meetings right. kind of charity. Is there a place for having op, for having both of those things operate, uh, at the same time, or do you have to pick one or the other?
2: There has, there has to be some type of ranking, you, it, This is the point you all have made in various ways, but if you were to prioritize a, a spouse equally to a stranger in the street, that would mm-hmm. be, there's a problem with that. Yeah. But Graham, when you then add that part of, because you get more return from them, that's the part that I like, that's the part that feels uncomfortable to me. Like we should uh, give more charity to certain people based on like the closeness to us, but it's not because we get something from them. So is it almost like the melding of the Cicero I guess. Perfection. I also just
0: think about it in terms of how do you, how do you allocate your time sure. to friends? Yeah. Um, how, do you, how do you choose which people that you're going to spend, uh, spend the limited amount of time that you have in, in a day, in a week, in a lifetime? Um, how do you allocate that? Well, we are doing some kind of analysis where we say, well, um, these group, this group of people um, gets the line, sure, versus this group of people because of uh, whatever the reasons are. I don't think it's just… Purely um completely neutral, uh altruistic charity where everyone gets sort of an equal share of you. I don't know. I'm just it's it's the um <coughs> it's the altruism of of the faith mixed with kind of like the practicalities of being still being a human.
1: Well I think I think the issue is that Cicero is coming from a self-interested perspective, right? Where it is okay to show a little bit of self-interest. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the primary principles of Christianity is Mm self-forgetfulness and the interest in others. And so I think it depends on what kind of charity you're talking about. If it's charity motivated by need, that is a very different thing than charity motivated by personal love. And in both cases, you should give deference to that person who perhaps needs you more and give less preference to your own proclivities. Mm -hmm. So spend more time with the people who might need your time, perhaps more than those that you enjoy spending time with mm-hmm. and i think that when we see people do that we see it as noble right the kid who is popular who gives his time to the unpopular kids we think is awesome versus the kid who's popular who gives his time to the popular kids sure right and so i think our charity rather than being motivated by self-interest and and level of good done to us should always be motivated by self-forget- self-forgetfulness and need right give more to somebody who needs more right if i if yep. I have goods that I don't need, and my family doesn't need, and he needs them, they should go to him. they're God's goods, not my goods, right sure that's what I think mm-hmm.
0: I'm just thinking what about like when you're hiring for a job like when, if before Megby comes on, we interview Megby and he is as qualified to do the job as anybody, but we also have the we want to hang around him we want we think he's going it's going to be. We also think this job is going to be really great for him, and it's really great for us because that means we get to hang out with him more. And then you do the, what is it? Is Would you is that a, an example of doing the charitable thing? Is is preferring and giving the job to Megby over anybody else? Like, is well, that sort a, of what Cicero is
1: getting at? But as a as a, I mean, if we're just talking about hiring practices, and we might be a little off off the road here, audience, sorry, but. You I, I think you have to consider the needs of your company. And the needs of your company is a positive working environment for the faculty. And then if the faculty are happy mm. and love their environment, that will extend to the students and the families. Right. The need here is for a solid, unified, genial faculty, mm-hmm. not necessarily for right. When I hire, I am not concerned necessarily for that person's well-being, but the well-being of the whole. This is all making me want to I I've only ever read excerpts of it, but it makes me want to read City
2: of God. Uh, Augustine's City of God, because I feel like this is the tension we get to of like, there are spiritual ideals that we hold, but we do also live in a fallen world. And so there are times when we will look to practical things. This is Aristotle saying that there are different types of friendships, not to say that one is like better than the other, but each has different uses. Mm-hmm. So in the same way here, like different people, but I hate saying that people have uses, but it's
1: kind of, it's kind of what Cicero is talking about. mm mm-hmm. Okay, so that concludes the discussion of society. So, so far we've talked about the pursuit and development of the true. We've talked about conserving an organized society, which falls under justice, making sure everybody gets their due, and charity, which is fraternity and giving to one another. And then the third is greatness and strength of a noble and invincible spirit. Love it. Cool. This one falls kind of in a weird spot for me, especially because the fourth, which we'll get to in a minute, is orderliness and moderation of everything that is said and done, wherein consists temperance and (laughs) self-control. It's very to the point. It's not. Yeah. Everything that's said and done seems pretty broad, especially when we've just had three divisions of stuff. Mm -hmm. The delineation to me gets a little squiffy. It seems like it might have been easier to organize it different ways, but... I'm no Cicero. So let's keep talking on greatness and strength of a noble and invincible spirit. He talks about how the rabble see greatness and that that tends to deal with fame primarily, but fame often ends in injustice and self focus. Mm. So we should not necessarily look to the famous. That doesn't necessarily mean a truly great or courageous man. It means a popular one. Amen. Right? Which is not the same thing. It's not. And he says a soul that is courageous and great is marked by two characteristics. You guys ready? You guys ready to figure out if you're courageous and great right now? Audience, are you guys ready? Because this, this might be, I feel like the answer anyway, it might be a little rough for you. Yes. That's what I'm worried about. Yeah. I feel
0: like I'm, I feel like I'm probably there.
1: Okay. well, Let's hear what those two are. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Number one, they are indifferent to outward circumstances. Such a person cherishes, cherishes a conviction that nothing but moral goodness and propriety deserve to be admired or wished for. That's distinguished by two criteria. They, Account, it accounts for moral rectitude as the only good and they are free from all passion. So... That's all the first one. Okay, I'm one for yep. two so far. <laughs> okay. And number two, uh. when the soul is disciplined, one does deeds useful and arduous and laborious and fraught with danger. So these two things mm. aren't necessarily two characteristics, but one is the cause and two is the result. Mm. So one is in different outwards, outward circumstances, they are convinced that nothing but moral goodness and propriety deserve their their effort. It means they're free from passion and they, you know, moral rectitude is the only good. And then when that's true, they will do deeds that are useful and difficult and fraught with danger.
0: This sounds like Socrates, right? Like Mm. that's the, you know, cold nor heat uh, bothers him. Like nothing bothers him and he was a great soldier because he he was sort of indifferent to whatever happened to him and seeking after the moral truth was all that he wanted, wisdom. Um, I have thought about, yes, I wish that I don't wish that our lives had more danger, but there is definitely... Um, maybe it's after sitting in a classroom for, you know, for an entire year, mm-hmm. a school year, you're just like, man, I wish I was you know, hiking or outside or encountering wild animals. Or so, there's, there's something about testing oneself against the elements or against something that is dangerous that um, does also seem to have a bearing on, on the good.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, Hanenberg, are you... Did you pass a test?
2: Um, <sighs> I, I am not indifferent, and I would not say that I do dangerous things. So I guess I'm, I mean, the, I think it's it stretches us to call, uh, I don't know, what do we call teaching dangerous? Like, we're engaging with ideas as opposed to the dangerous things outside of us. But, but this is a safe space, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's what we advertise, right? Veritas, <laughs> a safe space. No, of course not. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'd call that. Uh, dangerous, but
1: yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think, and I'm not sure how much I agree fully with this.
0: I agree that indifference is, is a virtue. That you indifference do? is necessary for the, um, um, for the invincible spirit.
2: Foreign, maybe. Uh, so I could see how this could make a really like great citizen, but I don't think does this describe a great husband? Does this describe a great uh, leader of a company or leader of a team? Like this describes a great individual contributor. I just don't know how they would work together with other people.
0: I think it sounds it, like a
2: robot, doesn't it?
0: No, I know. Uh, I don't think so. I think it's somebody that uh, is definitely going to be in tune and be able to interact with uh, a world of unknowns. So if you, um, um, I've been reading uh, Shelby Foote's History of the Civil War and taken with the character of Ulysses S. Grant, at least as a general. I know he apparently wasn't a very good president, but I haven't got there yet. Um, but just he has this uh, – there's this one scene where his troops are badly beaten one day and one of his sort of beleaguered um, of, uh, sort of you know brigadier generals comes up to him and is like, man, we sure got licked today, didn't we, general? And he's like, yep. Right, we'll look at him tomorrow. like he's just got this almost this indifference to the disaster that happens in front of you, and then also a not taking too seriously the victory. There's the nothing is ever really as good or really as bad as you think it is kind of mentality, which I actually I, I think is kind of a healthy one. I think that's I think there's something Cicero's onto something when he is saying that that is a key characteristic of the uh, of the invincible spirit is. Uh, and, you know, we all sort of chuckled and laughed at uh, his dying words, but I think that's an example of it. Right. Like, what you were doing is wrong, but make sure that you kill me rightly, that you do a good job of it. Like, there's something that just makes us go, hot dang, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I think that is what he's getting at with this idea of the indifference.
1: Isn't there, as, as one that tends to step out of situations and look at them analytically and critically, isn't there something to be said for the unity of the emotional life of a man and the intellectual life of a man like shouldn't is, aren't there moments where we should be angry and to not feel anger would show a deficiency in us rather than a true plot. And this is, this is a personal yeah. thing I've, I've been trying to improve in this because I am detached.
0: I don't think, <clears throat> I don't think indifference is the same thing as detachment. And I don't think mm. indifference is the same thing as not being invested emotionally in something. Mm. Um, and I don't think it. I don't think the indifferent person is the robot. So I think you can be incredibly disappointed when something doesn't go your way, and I also think you can be incredibly elated when something does go your way. But when the emotion passes, having a um, having a cat, being able to sort of categorize it as okay, this wasn't as this isn't everything. This hasn't Finished my life for the positive after some sort of elation, or this hasn't finished my life for the negative after some sort of disappointment. I think there there needs to be a um, when the emotion passes, there is a a sort of categorizing of of indifferent that this is another thing that happened and I'm going to take it. And now what am I going to do next? And I think and I think that's not a detachment. I think a detachment yeah. is actually um, um, detachment is a.
1: Refusal to feel emotions that should A be refusal there?
0: to feel emotions, and maybe is uh, knowing that you actually are not very good at dealing with negative emotions. Therefore, I am not going to engage emotionally. I think indifference is so allowing I, so yourself to feel it, and then having the and then putting it in its proper place when the emotion's done.
1: So I think what you're advocating for is a healthy estimation of the emotions when they, re- they occur, rather than a rejection of the emotions because wholesale. yes,
0: mm-hmm. exactly. Okay. Yeah. So like a a. Um, um, so let yourself get carried away in the moment. Um, scream and yell, enjoy when you win the battle. Um, but then when you're done, don't fool yourself into thinking that you've won the war or that you can ride your coattails for the rest of the campaign because of this one victory.
1: And as you're screaming and yelling in joy, don't let yourself get out of control and know that know that this is only a battle. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yes. I, I
0: that I don't know if I don't know if that's, don't, I've never read Cicero, so sure. I don't know if that's what he's getting at, but.
2: Um, but, but when I you think say that be my estimation of but when I you think. say indifference, I don't think people think, think that, yeah. or when uh, the stoic ideal of apatheia that, mm-hmm. it, to hear apathy is not to think yes, I'm, I actually do feel emotions but then go back to normal
0: yeah, and that's the retort that everyone says when someone is really buying into the apathy of the stoics, it's like, man do not want to be married to that person right. doesn't, <laughs> like, it, just, it doesn't sound fun um, right? yeah.
2: or healthy or pick your adjective
0: mm-hmm. and I think maybe also Cicero I don't know, but there is also something to be said of the um, the separation of the public and the private life there, right. that you can have um, that you can be completely overcome with emotion about your spouse, um, but and have that be uh, and not have an indifference there, but have an indifference to sort of the, the way that you engage yourself publicly. I think there's something healthy to that too. Hmm. Yeah. Um, again, I'm with reading Shelby Foote. I'm struck with how tender um, Stonewall Jackson's letters are to his wife and how um, stone-faced and sort of like almost cruel he is to his soldiers and whatnot. But anyway, Mm -hmm. so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay, there's a few more little notes in here that I had under this heading of greatness and strength of a noble and invincible spirit. So he gives you the criteria for what makes one and that's, you know, indifference to outward circumstances and you do difficult deeds. He also says that the unperturbed or those who would do as they please either aim for power so they can do what they please or detachment right so they want everything so they can do whatever they want to or they aim to be pleased with what they have so they can do whatever they want but he says that both contend towards some sort of defect Mm. right the one power falls into the temptation of glory recklessness and wealth the other falls into uh Sorry, I lost my spot. The other falls into despising work or toil and oversensitivity. So I can be okay with what I have, but that might make me make me lazy in getting the goods that my family and I both deserve. And if I'm going to have as much means as I want to do whatever I'd like to, that can also tend to go towards wealth and power and cruelty and tyranny and all those things.
0: So this is a like, always be a little bit hungry kind of sentiment? Yes. But Maybe like- or just
1: aim for a mean. Like if, you're, if you are aiming to be to have it all, know that you don't have to have absolutely everything Mm -hmm. and to to guard against those pitfalls that come with aiming towards wealth Mm -hmm. or aiming towards power and letting that do what you want to do. And if you're aimed to be detached from all those things and not hang on to your physical possessions and just be satisfied really, then don't let that become an excuse for laziness, Mm -hmm. which I think is fair. Uh, The ego then goes into a long discussion of warfare and what sort of man should work in war. And he also says we should hold highly those men who work in peace, right? Huh. Lycurgus, the guy who set down the law for Spartans, he did that in peacetime. And his work matters far more than the Spartans than any general who ever lived. Or at least that that lawmaking affects more people and at more times. So he, he says we should never look at just the generals as the height. And I think this is kind of a Roman thing, right? Mm-hmm. They, they really overemphasized war and made it this big thing in their culture. And so to not talk about it at length, especially to one's son, would not be as valuable. Um, he also says men who aim to politi- aim to politics must keep in mind two rules. First, keep the good of the people before your own, right? At all times, you're working for the good of the people. And second, and this is a fun one, to care for the whole body politic and not only a few. If you care for only your part or your own party, you introduce dissension and party strife. So everyone going into politics should be caring for all the people, not just their own party. I wonder I mean, he's right. <laughs> yeah. Isn't he? He's, uh, he's I think he's absolutely right, but it just makes me depressed that our party, parties are so opposed right now. Yeah. It makes me sad. And I wanted to read you guys the last quote here. Cause it's pretty cool in this section to revert to the original question. We must decide that the most important activities, the, those most indicative of a great spirit are performed by the men who direct the affairs of nations. For such public activities have the widest scope and touch the lives of the most people. But even in the life of retirement, there are and there have been many high souled men who have been engaged in important inquiries or embarked on most important enterprises and yet kept themselves within the limits of their own affairs. Or taking some middle course between philosophers on the one hand and statesmen on the other, they were content with managing their own property, not increasing it by any and every means, nor debarring their kindred from the enjoyment of it, but rather, if ever there were need sharing it with their friends and with the state only let in in the first place be honestly acquired or sorry only let it in the first place be honestly acquired by the use of no dishonest or fraudulent means let it in the second place increase by wisdom industry and thrift and finally let it be made available for the use of as many as possible if only they are worthy and be at the service of generosity and beneficence rather than of sensuality and excess by observing these rules one may live in magnificence, dignity, and independence, and yet in honor, truth, and charity toward all. I buy it. I'm in. I like it. Yeah. And then he goes to the last part, which is orderliness and moderation of everything that is said and done, wherein consists temperance and self control. Yep. Uh huh. <laughs>
0: No, I'm, I'm down, too.
1: This was a... This yeah. is funny as, as a
2: catch-all. It's like the miscellaneous category, right? <laughs> it's like, uh, here's everything else I had to say. Yeah. Well, oh, it's to his
0: son. Think about it. It's like, all right, and uh, don't, you know, drink too much. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's it's propriety.
0: Just go to the party. Don't be the party there, son. Mm.
1: <laughs> To employ reason and speech rationally, to do to do with careful consideration whatever one does, and in everything to discern the truth and to uphold it, that is proper. To be mistaken or led, led astray, that's improper. Justice? Proper. Injustice. Improper. Improper. He has classifications of propriety. There's the general sort, which is found in moral goodness as a whole. And then there's that that belongs to the several divisions of moral goodness. Propriety is that which harmonizes with man's superiority in those respects in which his nature differs differs from that of the rest of animal creation. So, I don't know. It seemed to me like his definition of propriety was a little bit squiffy. He got justice in there. He got... Being led astray, I guess he's connecting that to the previous spots. So maybe propriety is also closely akin to duty. This is where the divisions kind of broke down to me. I didn't really understand how this was specifically different than everything else. He talks a lot about human nature and how that we should follow. Like there are some things that are terrible that we talk about in public. Murder, right? Thievery. Those are horrible things, but we're totally okay to talk about them. There are things that are totally fine that we don't talk about in public. Conception, right? Right? Mm-hmm. That's weird in public situations, but we're fine to talk about murder. He's like mm. this thing is weird. And there, apparently there were philosophers who were like this is stupid. We should talk a lot about conception and never mm. about murder. And he's like those guys are idiots <laughs> because our our nature tells us that one is okay to talk about in public and the other is not. And then it's he gives a, just it's a, like
0: a defensive manners and
1: yeah. That's what it sounds like, yeah. He and then he goes into a, just a long array of here's how to live well in life. Like, so is this just like a description
0: of like, being a gentleman? A description of that, being... That is exactly being, what it is. Being a, a cultivated, refined person.
1: Yeah. Appetites must be subject to reason, neither to run ahead from listlessness or lag behind from indolence. You should be calm of soul, never allowing the change brought by fear, joy, or anger. Uh, there are two kinds of jokes, one refined and one and witty, and the other not so much. It should be clear which is which, mm. which is why us laughing at duty at the beginning of this podcast is kind of funny yeah wait
2: we're not gentlemen
1: i think we are that was the right
2: thing to laugh at
0: was it really It was crass
2: (laughs) i I think cicero would say different
0: i know i can feel the ghost of him judging us
1: yeah Mm. graham i know it's me cicero he says there are two kinds of character for every person there's your reason which is common to all man and then there's your physical ability like some of you are beautiful some of you are not as I just I to my podcast. I don't, I
2: don't know about this. I disagree. I, do you, uh, so, in reading this last section, it feels like it'd be the most specific to when Cicero was writing. The quotes you said have all seemed like they applied. Do you think all this
1: still applies today? A lot of it still applies, I- I'd say. There's there's still some stuff here. The, he Okay, so here's propriety defined, ag- again. Uniform consistency in the course of our life as a whole and all its individual actions. You can't do this by copying the traits of others and eliminating one's own. So you kind of has to be true to you, I guess, is another part of this. <laughs> there's also a long discussion about how to choose your lot in life and that it should be something that harmonizes with you. But it's a bummer because we ask kids when they don't they know be. themselves that well and they're still developing to choose their lot in life when they don't know what sort of things they're good at and love and, you know, where, where they tend naturally. He says there's a rare person who's got enough money and time to mm. do that later in life, but and some people are just lucky and land in it, but most most people are going to land in jobs that they don't necessarily find suitable to them, and then they should keep looking. He says, the young tends toward immodesty and craziness, the old tend toward laziness and over-luxury, and you should guard against both. There's two types of power of speech oratory and conversation. And he's like, I have no idea why we just study oratory Mm. conversation conversation should be studied too. And then he gives a little list of those things. That's cool. Should be easy and not dogmatic should have the spice of wit. (laughs) You shouldn't debar others from participating in it. Let everybody have their turn. Um, If it's a serious subject, you should treat it seriously. If humorous with wit above all, watch that you don't depray some, uh, sorry, betray some defect in your character, which is most likely to occur when you're joking about someone who's not present. Oh, Right. You should administer when administering reproof. No, never have actual anger, but sometimes you can fake it. I think as teachers, you've been there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. You're not supposed to actually be angry, but you can be like, Jeffrey, put that down. Right. So, I mean, there's, there's just lots of s- sort of small things here. Right. And then it discusses this seasoning things to individual occasions and all that stuff. The well, last part, why don't
0: we read this? We should read this
1: in class life in school. Yeah. Sounds like uh, it. Blah, 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 blah. I have stuff to say about it. I in the next sections it. or in this section? I disagree with what the you said. The last part, he says what how do you decide what is more requiring of your duty, right? Remember I talked about that, how there was going to be how do you choose between two things? He says, duties prescribed by justice and that have to do with our fellow men get precedence over the pursuit of knowledge and any duties imposed by that. If I am seeking the mysteries of the universe and then a friend comes in and he's like, Hey man, I'm having a hard time. I should always defer to the friend or those things that my country requires or my society requires Mm -hmm. over. You disagree with that? No, no, that's that one. I actually kind of agree with. I actually agree with it fairly wholeheartedly. The part I kind of wonder about is Cicero goes even so far as to say, watch how you walk. Don't walk too fast. People think it's weird. Don't walk too slow. You'll look lazy. Right there, He goes really far on how to act. He also talks about effeminacy of gesture and effeminacy of dress. He says you shouldn't dress overly nice as to appear effeminate. You shouldn't dress too slovenly. You should aim for some sort of middle mean. And I'm not saying that those things are bad, but I'm saying that these feel like the things that can change with culture and those things that a strict adherence to can sometimes get you into trouble. He talks about how we treat one's slaves. And when talking about jobs... He talked about how you should never, ever go for a menial job that does not require intelligence or artistry, right?
2: Uh, Like a garbage man. Loyal listener Graham Donaldson is smiling to himself right now. I'm
0: just thinking that this is like the Bible and manuscript of the 19th century British gentleman.
1: Yes. And that's what, and that's what causes me pause is that some of those things we've done away with for a reason. It's because you're blue collar America. (laughs) Partially. Yes. And partially because, right, think about France, right, how they for a while had the aristocracy and what was right and appropriate in the aristocracy was as a king to get dressed in the morning in front of all of your followers was to look down upon and even deride the common rabble to, to it, it was, yeah, but he was sometimes, dressing too fancy, right? sometimes too propriety fast. can go way too far and can require of us things that are not good. Mm. And I think in those cases, we should absolutely defer to the dignity of man as a whole and towards charity and self deprecation above all. Right? But isn't this
0: why that's in the moderation section?
1: Hmm. So there's a place for propriety.
2: Well, is propriety a virtue? No, he's oh. just
0: saying like don't be too fancy, but don't be too don't be too
2: sloppy. So even Cicero would condemn the king of France for doing that?
1: addressing like that. But the thing is, is I'm not sure he would. He would according to his own culture, but if he had lived with the king of France, I think he would be trying to find some middle mean within that culture, and I think that's where we get into trouble, is when culture takes precedence over the real draw of what is actually right and true. And I think sometimes this can happen.
0: Yeah. Yes. The king of France is wrong. Okay, but... And Cicero would say that.
1: Cicero would say that, but would would a French philosopher at the same exact time? And that's that's my issue is that I I just want, I just, I advocate for being aware of how your culture affects those around you and how those small cultural requirements can sometimes be detrimental towards honesty, truth, and charity towards fellow men. I think that sometimes manners can be this. Right? If someone makes a manners faux pas, puts their elbows on a table, they are derided when really they might be the kindest person in the room. Right, I think sometimes these things go too far and that strict adherence to them can reduce the dignity of man rather than bringing us all towards a higher dignity.
0: I have a hard time saying that we currently live in a time where we take our manners too seriously.
1: I, I didn't say now was that time. Mm. I said it can be. And that those manners can often get us into trouble. I think now it's not necessarily like I've been in places where manners are too highly regarded. And then me being an unmannered oaf makes some misstep. That's my own fault. But I think now perhaps call it uh, political correctness. That's a certain type of manners. And that's one that does often prevent us from saying what is good and true in the face of what is not good and true. And I think people on both sides would agree with that. Fair enough. I would say that is our cultural manner and one that can get us into trouble. Graham is uncomfortable because no,
0: I just, I, I, don't, um, I don't think that's what Cicero is getting at when it, well, maybe it is. I don't know if you, if political correctness, is I think a manners thing, uh, think there's uh, a underlying sort of,
1: I think Cicero would have advocated philosophy
0: for it. On, uh, for it. But anyway,
1: from what I read today, it seems like Cicero would have been the watch and make sure you don't overstep those bounds. And I think sometimes a man trying to be true and good must overstep his culture. Yes,
2: you would agree with that. So sometimes culture, yeah, the culture around you will want something other than uh, virtuous behavior.
0: Sure, but um, but he's talking about he's enshrining some kind of idea of a timeless gentleman.
2: And ironically, most of what was described sounds like a timeless gentleman, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot
1: of it's fine. Yeah, I, I have no problem with. But AJ can't is more, think of an
0: ex- it, a time where you would want to out where being where stepping out of being a timeless gentleman is good, or is making some sort of or is necessary to make some sort of other sort of point in the culture. I, 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 what do you
1: what What do you mean?
0: Um, well, you're talking. Well, I just I just thought of this. I haven't. I can't put it. I haven't fully fully. Um, fleshed out in my own
1: mind so maybe it will have to save it for later okay that's fine to do a quick review uh you have the four subheadings you have full perception and development of the true you have conservation of an organized society you have the greatness of strength of a noble and invincible spirit which is pretty much being indifferent and then doing hard things and then orderliness and moderation of everything that you do so you have be smart and don't be led astray be kind to others. Observe justice and charity. Do hard things with an indifferent spirit. And in all other things, be generally a gentleman. And I think that's a pretty good collection of yep. what he says. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, remember, the call of your friends and your country should be over the call of knowledge in general. And that's book one, folks. That's Cicero. Cool. That's good.
0: Sounds fun. Yeah. Well, this has been Classical Stuff You Should Know. We hope that you have... Felt the, uh, the the stirring of nobility deep in your mm-hmm. hearts to elevate yourself into uh, a more refined and civilized way of existing, without um, um, pompousness, but uh, and with but uh, yeah, and also without um, 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 being a jerk bag about it. Um, <laughs> If you have questions or Ooh, concerns, oh, I got or- a good quote
1: about that. Sorry. It was from, uh, uh, it was from Julius Caesar. When we talked about him, I think I read this quote to comment on the want of breeding of someone else shows that one lacks, mm. lacks it as much himself. I think the, to comment on the lack of breeding and refinement of someone else shows you want it just as much. I think that's maybe a good guide for this sure. is so be refined, but don't use it as a way to deride others.
0: Good. If you have comments, questions, or concerns, or wish to share ways that you have elevated your nobility, please email us <laughs> at classicalstuff at veritasacademy.net. You can tweet at us at classicalstuff, and I will like it and retweet it and say silly things back to you. If you want to find our website, it is classicalstuff.net, where you can find all of our episodes, tiny little bios that were written a long time ago, uh, funky
1: pictures of us. Yes. and If you'd like to donate... To us oh, we, we promise to remain indifferent that's
0: right we will <laughs> not let it uh rule our lives and we will um, um, only moderately um no if you uh, maybe if you want to give us money let us know um but we thank you for listening to us this makes me want to go find a copy of cicero and yeah. get reading um yeah this classical stuff signing off thanks bye, bye.